Lord Jesus. Father God, again, Lord Jesus, we give her the freedom and the space, Father God, that she needs. In your precious name, amen. Amen. If I can have my slides on, please. Um, Mark, you might want to come and um, need to come and just give it a tweak at the back, if that's all right. We had a bit of um, purple shadow. Can we just see if that's still... Yeah. Would you mind just giving it a bit of a fiddle? Could I also ask, um, could somebody bring the communion table round to the front, please? That one over there. Thank you, because I'd just really like to go straight into that. Um, can I have the curtains? No, joking. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> Thank you. Hallelujah. Thanks, Mark. It, I've got quite a few slides, as ever, and uh, some of it might be a bit difficult to read. Just needs a bit of a tweak. Has that done it? No. Just, no. Oh, 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 Yes, yes. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. Don't move. Wow. Um, it's really great when um, the Lord starts to do stuff that you feel is on your heart for the things that you want to share. So um, already there are things that I know God has already revealed. So if I have to miss them out, God's already said them. But just... Equally to what Ben has just shared, I also felt that there were more people that needed to come forward. So at the end of the service when we take communion, um, what I would like is ministry team to come first and then please make yourselves available if anybody else would like prayer this morning because I just felt there was more that... Um, yeah, more that God wanted to do. And actually, it's really in line with what I am covering this morning as we move on into week two of God's Big Picture. Um, so we're doing a seven-week series going through the whole story of the Bible, which is one book. It has a lot of authors, but it's one book, ultimately authored by God. And uh, we're journeying through the story, picking up some key themes. So last week, Ben started us off. And um, this little picture here, um, I don't know how well you can read that down the left-hand side. God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. You will see that as a theme throughout these talks over the coming weeks. And last time, Ben started us off in the beginning, which is a very good place to start. And uh, we looked at Adam and Eve in the garden, God's people whom he had created. Their place was the Garden of Eden, and they were enjoying God's rule and blessing through perfect relationships with God and with one another. But as we know, and as Ben shared with us last week, that all went very wrong when the serpent came, he deceived Adam and Eve. They took the apple and sin and death and disease entered in. And they were banished from the Garden of Eden. And uh, the story went into quite a difficult place from there on in. Ben took us as far as the Tower of Babel. But there are some glimmers, glimmers of hope 
in these first few passages. Um, This is the curse that God spoke over the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve. And it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So from the beginning, we see there is someone to come who will crush the head of the serpent. Hallelujah, hallelujah, and we know who that is. There are some other things as well that we see. Um, Cain and Abel is the story that follows on from Adam and Eve, and as we know, Cain murders Abel. But God puts a mark on Cain so that nobody would kill him. Cain's life and that line is preserved. We read that people began to call on the name of the Lord. And then we have this wonderful tiny story. We don't know very much about him, but we see Enoch who walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away, which I guess begs the question, where did he take him to? So there is hope throughout these early beginnings that could look as if everything goes drastically wrong because God had a plan. From the very beginning, God had a plan. God had salvation purposes worked out from the very beginning. Hallelujah. And that includes you and me. All of us who are here today, that includes us. So this fabulous scripture from Ephesians 1, I've chosen some verses here. I thought it'd be good we could just read this aloud all together because this is such a fantastic scripture. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. I've got a hallelujah there. Incredible, wonderful, wonderful. And we are included in that promise. As you can, we were chosen before the foundation of the earth. How extraordinary is that? You, point to the person next to you, you were chosen. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth. God had a plan. God has a plan. So as we move on in the story, um, before we start to look at Abraham, who is the key person I'm going to be looking at this morning, I, I want to talk briefly about covenants because the concept of covenant is really key in this part of the story with Abraham. And actually, there are lots of covenants in the Bible, and the person who makes covenants more than anybody is God. And, oh gosh, it's a bit dark, isn't it? Never mind. Um, You can read that, can't you? There's a lot of words coming up this morning. Um, So, You'll see throughout the scriptures there are covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with Israel through Moses, with David, and the new covenant, which we all enjoy now. Um, 
And a covenant is not a term or a word that's particularly used these days. If I were to say to you, can you give me an example of a covenant, I imagine most of you would think marriage. That's probably the key thing that many people would think of. And a covenant is a solemn promise between two parties. That's what a covenant is. And as well as God making covenants, there are several examples in the scriptures of other covenants that have, to- that have taken place. So here we see, this is an example of a covenant that King Solomon made with um, the king of Tyre, Hiram. And he's going to build the temple, and because he knows that they have the best cedars, um, he wants to use that in the building of the temple. So he sends to Hiram, saying, "I, I would like to have your cedars and your cypress trees, and I will give you something in return. So the king of Tyre is very happy with this agreement. He's delighted to help. Um, So if you kind of go halfway down that paragraph, it says, so Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber. And Solomon then gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram year by year. So you can see we've got this exchange here. Um, Hiram is giving the cedars and the cypress, and Solomon, in exchange, is giving this. But it's far more than just a contractual agreement. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. Now, some of you, in your translations, if you're looking at this in front of you, you might have, and the two of them made an alliance, or the two of them made a peace treaty. Those are other words that are used, because this is more than just that kind of contractual relationship. Um, This is about the relationship between them as two parties. This goes much, much deeper than a straightforward, if you give me this, I'll give you that. So if I go to Boots and buy toothpaste, in exchange for money, they're giving me toothpaste, but I'm not promising to be faithful to Boots all the rest of the days of my life and never go to Superdrug. That's not what it is. But here in the scripture, this is an example of a covenant that means there's peace between the two parties. The details of this will come on to um, in a bit. So very briefly, the covenant with, Abe, with Adam is not specifically mentioned in Genesis itself, but in Hosea, where the prophet, the Lord through the prophet Hosea is talking about this broken relationship with Israel, he says, as at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me. Because it's about relationship. There was a break in relationship at the fall We then move on to look at Noah, which Ben covered last week. And this, of course, is a very well-known story and the covenant that we know through Noah. I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, your sons, your wife, your son's wife with you, and taking with you all types of animals. And after the flood has come and the waters begin to subside we see that God establishes a covenant 
with Noah and his descendants and promises never to flood the earth again. And in that second paragraph, we read, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And I don't know about you, but I love to see a rainbow. I love to see a rainbow, and that reminds me of God's faithfulness and God's promise. So as we move on to Abraham, we see an extraordinary promise that's made to him. And at this point in the story, we actually don't know very much about Abraham, Abraham as he's known originally. He first comes into the story, we know who he is, we know where he's from, but that's about as much as we know. But God makes this extraordinary promise to him. He says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know that Noah was chosen because he walked faithfully with God. Abraham, we don't know too much about at this point, but God sees him, and God calls him, and God wants to bless him. That's what God wants to do. So whereas we began with Adam and Eve in the garden, having a perfect relationship that we know because of sin was destroyed, we then see God's people, Abraham and his descendants. The place that God has for them is the promised land. And this promise of God's blessing isn't just to Abraham, but all Israel and ultimately all nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham. That's quite a promise. That is quite a promise. And we live in the fruit of that today. So let's, uh, let's have a look at the story. Because as we know, there is a bit of a challenge to Abraham because he has no children. And he comes to God to talk about the matter with him. And um, this is what we read. After this, the, this is a rescue of, Sodom, of uh, Lot from Sodom. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. A very well-known passage, a beautiful Really, really precious passage. And uh, I don't think, you know, living in this country with so much light pollution that we kind of get the full effect of being taken outside and being told to look up at the stars. Because even on a clear night, we can never see that many stars, really, can we? But if you've ever been privileged enough to go to Africa or anywhere that's very remote, where you're surrounded by desert... The night sky is incredible. It is just full of stars, just crazy full of stars. The sky, is, the sky is just rammed of stars. And this must have been the most extraordinary image to Abram to see that sky and God to say, those are your descendants. Can you count them? And Abraham believes. Abraham believes God. That word there, believes, is aman, which is where we get amen from. When we say amen, we're saying, yes, I believe. And that's what Abraham is doing here. He's saying, I believe, I believe. And it's credited to him as righteousness. That means that that faith that Abraham had put him in right standing with God. He was in a right place with God because of his faith. He was credited with righteousness. Because one of the things that was lost at the fall was faith. Because Adam and Eve chose not to believe God. They believed the serpent who said that God was lying. They chose not to trust God. They trusted in what the serpent said to be true. But Abraham here believes God. He puts his faith and trust in God. You know, we've sung this morning, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. That is who God is. And that is a faith statement. And that is something that we so need to believe and take on board ourselves. Abraham believes God. And it was that faith that put him in right relationship with God. And that faith is what saves us today. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Faith is so key. Faith is so important. And throughout the scriptures, um, you see how there were times when Jesus couldn't do miracles because of lack of faith there. And Jesus gets quite frustrated by lack of faith. At one point, he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long must I put up with you? Because Jesus doesn't get our lack of faith because he knows God is entirely faithful. That's whom we're putting our trust in. We can have faith in God because he is faithful. It's not having faith in ourselves. It's not being optimistic. It's having faith in the one who is faithful. And that is what Abraham has. He has that faith. And that puts him in that right place with God. 
So Abraham goes on to kind of ask questions about this, and I'm reminded when uh, he asks this question, how can I know I shall gain possession of the promised land you promised me? um, I'm reminded of um, Mary saying to Gabriel, how could this be since I'm still a virgin? It's not a question that's doubting God, because we know he's a man of faith. And God responds in a very interesting way. He says, bring me a heifer. Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each of three years old with a dove and a young pigeon. And here we go on to see a covenant-making ritual. So Abram brought these items to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So what we see here is what the ancient covenant-making ritual was. And we can read about this further. There are other scriptures with this in. Jeremiah 34 looks at the detail of this. So what would happen is these animals would be brought and they would be cut in two. And the two parties would walk in between these these separated animals in amidst all of this blood And they would say to one another, may my fate be like that of these animals if I break this covenant with you. That's what was said. And the two parties would walk, both of them, and say these words between these animals. But that's not what happens here. Now, it's quite an interesting moment for Abraham to fall asleep because this is quite important what's going on here. So I think, we can, uh, I think we can surmise from this that this is of God's doing, because this is quite unusual. And God starts to speak to him prophetically and tells him not just what will happen in his own life, but that for 400 years, um, his descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be enslaved, ill-treated. God will punish the nation and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. He goes on to tell them about the story of the Israelites being freed. Joseph in place, we'll come onto that very briefly. So he tells him this story, and then we read in that second paragraph, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared, and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land, and it goes on. So both of them don't walk between the animals. God takes it on himself. He alone, in in this image of a blazing torch, goes between these sacrificed animals. It's extraordinary. He takes it all on himself. He knows that ultimately Israel will be unfaithful. But what God wants is relationship. God wants to fulfill these promises. And as we know, God has a plan. And we see throughout with Abraham 
the most extraordinary relationship he has with God. We haven't got time to go into this story, but he starts to just share the things that are on his heart with Abraham. And they enter into a kind of bartering dialogue over Sodom and Gomorrah. It's extraordinary. God wants relationship. God wants a relationship with us. Now, time goes on, and there's still no son and heir. So as we know, despite being a man full of faith, he decides to take matters into his own hands, and Ishmael is born through Hagar, who is Sarah's servant. And here is such a story that we can all look at and slightly cringe, thinking, why did he do that? Why did he do that? And yet, how easy is it to try and help God out, to try and work it out ourselves? And when I was thinking of this story, you know, to us as a church, as we're entering into a new era, it could be really easy to work it out ourselves and do it our own way when it doesn't seem quite to be going to plan. But this is not about what we can do. This is about what God can do. And that's what we see in the story here. And as the story goes on, he declares again this covenant to Abraham, who he changes his name from Abraham, that means exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful, it says in verse 6. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That is that promise. That is the promise that we also live under now. And Abraham's faith is tested um, even when Isaac is born, he uh, is asked to sacrifice him. But last minute, God intervenes because God has his way. God has his plans. God has his purposes. This isn't what we can achieve. It's what he, it's what he is doing. And even as the story goes on and Jacob and Esau are born, it's not the natural firstborn who will inherit and carry forward the kingdom of God, but it's the very undeserving Jacob who is not the person who you would ever think <laughs> would be the one who tricks and lies and deceives his way through. But you see, it's not about Jacob's worth and eligibility as according to the world's eyes. This is God's work. This is what God is doing. So we see God's people, Abraham and his descendants, in God's place, the call of that promised land, enjoying God's rule and blessing throughout Israel and all of the nations of the earth being blessed through him. And that promise, we know, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Let's just have a look at this. Time's getting on from Romans chapter 3. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. 
so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your promise. Thank you, Lord, that you are a promise keeper. And, um, you know, as we were singing that this morning and I was thinking I was preparing this, I know that there are some of us who are still waiting on promises from God. We're still waiting for things to come through. And I just see in here, there is a clue really in the life of Abraham. It says his strength, his faith was strengthened and he gives glory to God. So this morning, if you are waiting on a promise from God, give him glory. Give him glory, and that will strengthen your faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're going to conclude this morning. I know I've gone at a real breakneck speed. Um, We're going to conclude this morning with taking bread and wine. And I wanted to do that this morning, really, because of these words that Jesus shares in Luke 22 that we can read here. It says, And he took bread... And gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you.